Welcome to State of Mind. This is Julian Royce. I've got a great episode for everyone today. Let's see, first maybe some announcements. So one announcement is that I'm having an event next Friday, April 7th at my house. And I've shared a little bit about this on the podcast, but last summer, me and my friend Jason Diggs started a community-oriented kind of co-living house here in Boulder, Colorado. It's really part of a long interest I've had in creating community, finding different alternative living arrangements that are perhaps more fulfilling, more satisfying, or at least more conducive to bringing people together, right? Less isolation, that's part of the idea there. And we named the house the Boulder Awareness House. And so we're having an event next Friday, again, April 7th. Um, it's called Ecstasis 2. And I could share more about where the title comes from. It comes from the Greek word ecstasy, which can be understood as transcending or going outside of yourself in a moment of rapture. Um, the author, uh, Jamie Wheel, does a wonderful job discussing this concept in his book, Stealing Fire. Highly recommend it. And so that's part of the idea, at least inspiration for this event. I will be leading a workshop beforehand. It'll start around 5 p.m. And we're going to do, I think I'm going to give a talk around um, topics related to Buddhism and meditation and healing. And we'll have some practices that involve things around self-regulation, co-regulation, some meditation, guided meditation practice, and then some partnered practices. Um, so I'm excited to do this event um, and do the workshop, which is called Unbound Awareness and Infinite Connection. And um, it's called Ecstasis 2 because I helped create Ecstasis 1 a few months ago, and it featured an ecstatic dance with a local DJ and artist named Budabam, who was a guest on this podcast, I believe back in episode number 37, um, a few years ago at this point. And I'm sharing that in part because Budabam recently passed away, tragically, unexpectedly, and his performance at our home, the Awareness House, I believe was the last time he ever performed. He had performed almost every week for for over a decade or a decade and a half or something like that. He's very prolific. He was a great DJ. He always created a great dance party. And his passing was very unexpected. It was a, certainly a reminder of impermanence and um, certainly sad. Though, to be fair, I think the sadness is tempered by the fact that I believe he was 70 years old. So he got to live a full, good life. So at least there's that. But still, that, that unexpectedness and certainly a grief for me and those in the community here. I feel sad about that. And I also feel just a reminder how death is a part of life and how uh, easy it can be to forget that, especially, I think, in our modern world. I realize I haven't shared feedback or correspondence from the podcast in some time. I really do love and appreciate when listeners like yourself write to me or sometimes leave me a voice message. I'm not going to go through and read all of them, but I'll read this one I just got this morning, actually. It says, Hey, Julian, I'm listening to your podcast about the woke takeover of Naropa University, and I'm finding it really interesting and true in a lot of ways. I'm currently a student there, struggling with some of the extreme woke culture. Not really sure how to address it, though. I'm glad you're putting stuff like this out there. It's really tough in this current climate. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I will say that I've gotten a lot of uh, feedback and correspondence around that episode in particular. Glad to see it touched a nerve. Hopefully it's helpful for people. Hopefully it can help the university to move in a positive direction. And I've considered doing a follow-up episode on it, but I haven't put that together yet. And I don't know if I will. Um, one thing I'm not sure if I have shared on this podcast is I actually right around, ironically, right around the same time that episode was published, I was offered a job part-time teaching meditation at Naropa University. So I've been working there, um, seeing students virtually online for one of their low residency programs, helping them with their meditation and mindfulness practices. 
So I thought in the spirit of disclosure and transparency, I would share that, but that is a recent development that started in August of last year and um, is really my only current connection with the university in any professional way. So I'll let that topic go for now. Feel free to write me as always. Um, if you hit the subscribe button, if you leave us a review, if that's possible on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that's a big help, or even comment on one of the YouTube videos. As always, sharing this podcast with friends, families, followers on your own social media accounts really helps this podcast a lot. So thank you for all of you who do that. And today I am speaking with Lyle Maxson. Lyle, this was a, a super interesting conversation for me. Um, I connected with him through a visit I took to Miami in which I got to experience laying down on one of the tables that his company creates. Um, and we talk about it in the episode, but basically it's a kind of immersive biofeedback experience where you're laying on this, on this uh, mat or table that has speakers, subwoofers built into it. You're wearing high quality headphones and you're wearing these eyeglasses and you close your eyes and there's laser lights that are, I don't know if they're laser, there's lights on the inside of these glasses you're wearing. And um, as we talk about in the podcast together, the really unusual thing that I'd never experienced before was how you're invited to make sounds and how the sounds you are making, you then experience through your body, through the subwoofers, but they also create or help create the light experience. And so it's just this really interesting biofeedback loop where the sounds you're making are, are creating your experience for you. And I found it really profound. It's something I want to experience more. It's something I'm actually hoping to purchase and get installed here at my office, the state of mind counseling here in downtown Boulder, but they are expensive. So I haven't yet done that. Um, Lyle is a great speaker. He has a really powerful voice. So I, I joked with him if he's been doing his own vocal toning as part of that biofeedback device that's been working for him. <laughs> he laughed at that. I think that might be part of his secret there. Um, we cover a lot of topics. Like I said, he's really well-spoken. This idea of digital therapeutics um, that advances in technology, specifically digital technology, biofeedback devices, apps, um, that kind of thing, video games, like we talked about in this episode, as ways to help our mental health. I think there's a huge amount of potential there. Um, he shares about some of them that have been approved by the FDA, for example, for treating uh, ADHD. And um, in general, he just had a lot of interesting things to say about uh, the development of technology, about the video game industry, about different categories of digital therapeutics. We talk about some of the downsides of relying on pharmaceuticals, as well as how they can help, and how, in general, the pharmaceutical industry is a passive healing model which appeals to our consumerist culture. You know, it's it's a model of, oh, there's something wrong for you, for you, we have a pill for that. And now, all these decades later, the downsides of that are very apparent. And so what I believe, and I think he's in agreement with this, to get to deeper levels of healing and healing our society and culture in general and just getting to a new place, a happier, healthier world with happier, healthier individuals, we really need to be engaged in our process. The, the passive model only works so far. And interestingly, for those of you out there who are interested in things like psychedelics for healing trauma, for expanding your mind, for having deep insights even into the nature of mind, of reality, um, spiritual experiences, all these kinds of things, I've heard many uh, people who are experienced with the use of psychedelics in this way describe how the initial experiences can be amazing, pleasant, even life transforming, and it can feel like you took this substance and you just had this amazing experience and your life has changed for the better and it's great and it's amazing. 
and I see some of that positivity and energy, you know, in the movement to help legalize and regulate psychedelics and all that, like we've talked about on this podcast. But I've also seen how if you have repeated experiences, um, they can become more challenging, actually. And I think part of it is this quality of engagement is being asked for, demanded even, that it's not just passive, that's not just taking the substance and having this passive download. It's actually learning how to work with your own mind and consciously co-create your own experience, how you're going to contribute, how you're going to show up, what your dharma is, why you're taking this, why you're entering this experience. And those are the kinds of things um, in part that I do with, you know, psychedelic integration therapy and with psychedelic therapy for people who've become more experienced in it. Um, because as with any of these paths, it can be a long one, right? And it can be, there can be a lot there and it can have its ups and downs and it certainly has its challenges. So I just wanted to share all that for now. This was a fascinating, really interesting conversation. Really appreciated Lyle being on it. His company, or at least one of his companies, is called Entheo Digital. So check it out. Look at the links in the show notes below. And without further ado, I bring you Lyle Maxson. Lyle Maxson, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, you just uh, moved to Boulder from LA, right? Yes, temporarily, potentially living here full-time, but we're scoping it out for the next three months. Cool, yeah, big move. <laughs> yeah, we drove uh, halfway across the country with our cats, my girlfriend and I, uh, from Humboldt, actually, where we were for the holidays. So yeah, it was uh, we fought through a snowstorm to get here on New Year's Eve. Oh, well, yeah, coming in the middle of the winter. <laughs> Yeah, just saying before we start recording, it's been a cold, long winter here. But yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it, man. I've liked the kind of you know log cabin in the woods experience, um, just hunkered up doing work and having the fire burning with the snow falling is a very new environment for me. Beautiful, yeah, it's a beautiful place for sure. And so, and you work with a company called Entheo Digital, right? Yes, one of the co-founders. Um, we've been this company started about a year and a half ago now. Oh, okay, pretty recent. Yes. Yeah, it was a spin-off company um, out of uh, Andromeda Entertainment, which was a VR publishing group that my business partner and I started about, I guess, almost five years ago now. Um, and one of the products that we were incubating in-house, um, for people that don't know, a VR publishing company is very similar to like a book publisher or a record label where um, instead of musical artists or authors, our artists are developers. And our whole focus was bringing, to, bringing uh, games for good, is what we call it, which is essentially a positive mind-body effect. Um, and either funding those projects or helping bring them to market or a combination of both. And one of the titles that we created in-house was called SoundSelf. And then in the beginning of uh, 2020, uh, there was a big shift in how the FDA was looking at this new category called digital therapeutics. And there was also this huge boom in the psychedelic industry. And we had this amazing digital product that fit really well into the rise of the industry. And we like to say that we were kind of calling it a digital therapeutic before the advent of the term. 
And so as soon as these things started to happen and the FDA started to recognize that software can be a medical device and can have consistent mental health outcomes, and you could actually get FDA approved, meaning you could get insurance reimbursed and you could start making medical claims and doctors could actually prescribe it. Mm. That's when we were like, okay, we need to create an entirely new company. We need to go from being kind of this Trojan horse entertainment company where we were bringing conscious content through this new medium of VR Mm. into the now very serious medical med tech space, you know, brought on a chief science officer who we um, actually promoted to co-founder, uh, Dr. Prakash, and uh, started doing intensive research and and uh, shifting to the whole medical tech route. Beautiful, yeah. It's an amazing, amazing world right now, this, this technology and the development. And the phrase digital therapeutics is new to me. I've been researching it and learning more about it, but... Just to backtrack, I mean, you were involved with video games and developing video games, and I actually learned recently that there's good research studies showing that children in general got smarter through video games, not even once designed for, you know, with good intentions, just like the whatever video games are out there. I don't know, mm. I don't know much about it, but it kind of makes sense because a video game is such a rich environment, rewarding thing, activating, you know, using a lot of your mind and rewarding quick reflexes and paying attention and problem solving and so some of the you know when video games came out people were afraid like that's oh, going to ruin everyone's mind or kids are addicted to video games and probably like with everything there's pros and cons but yeah yeah i mean i definitely am not an advocate for video game playing uh and like usage i um the main reason that i even got involved in the industry is that i realized that well, one, the scalability of software and the impact that that can make on millions or potentially billions of lives at scale with a you know very low price point. Um, but then the the other the other side of it was there's all these programs talking about you know coding for kids and future proofing yourself by becoming a programmer. Now we're all talking about an AI right. as well, but like what are we actually coding? You know, and that's the most important part. It's like. Yes, there's always going to be the porn and the zombie games and all of the, you know, Call of Duty and all the, the I would say, kind of mind-numbing yeah. experiences. But then on the other side, there's the ability to create experiences where you take off a VR headset or you get off of a game and you actually feel better than when you put it on, which is a very novel concept. And it has the potential to actually create real world skills that you could then apply into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, I, the yep. phrase that I use all the time is upgrading the real world avatar that is you. So instead of like building this fictional yeah, avatar stats, that. you could yeah. actually build your real world stats. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's just, it's fascinating. I mean, so are you, were you involved as a, as a coder programmer? No, no. So I have a very like roundabout way of getting involved. Um, which I would like, I always say this too, but I would highly incentivize people that are interested. You know, a lot of people play video games. It's the biggest entertainment industry by far. It's uh, bigger than music and movies for annual gross really? revenue combined. Oh. So it's like, yeah. I, if I knew that. It's so bigger than movies. All of the music industry and all of the movie industry <laughs> is still, I think, only like maybe 60% of what video games do in revenue annually. Wow. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of huge evangelists and and people that are either addicted or play it for fun or play it to connect with family and friends from, you know, um, like long distances. Um, but I always like incentivize people that you don't have to be a coder and you don't have to be in the video game space to get involved in these new exponential technologies. For me specifically, it's in virtual reality and augmented reality, which is where I see everything going in the next five to 10 years. 
Um, so all that to say, I actually started in, in the music industry. Um, I was a creative director for large-scale EDM music festivals. I did, not, so, I did not know that about you. That's really cool. Yeah, so I did that um, through college as a promoter, and then I started with Relentless Beats, which is um, Arizona's biggest dance music promotion group. They do uh, very big music festivals like Decadence, which actually there's one here in, in Denver yeah, as well. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Global Dance Festival, all these big events. Um, and then from there, I started uh, my own creative agency where I was essentially bringing in what I call like conscious brands. So instead of like the Pepsis and Red Bulls of the world, I was bringing in biohacking technology and a variety of these um, you know, supplement companies and companies that I thought would actually add value to the event space. And through that, I started building all these activations and figuring out how to create amazing experiences at a festival that doesn't have to pertain to just the main stage of the music. Yeah. Um, and so oh, through yeah. that, I actually got exposed to a lot of world creation and virtual reality because what I was doing yeah. in the music festival space was building physical worlds right, right. that you kind of had to put up and tear down in three days. And then, you know, with the rise of, of VR, I was like, oh, this is not only something that could live inside of that software forever, but it's something that you don't need hundreds or thousands of dollars to go travel to. Mm. All you need is 30 bucks to download something and you have that experience. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be the exact same, but I get who you're saying. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I, nothing would replace a real world experience for me ever. Yeah. But again, it just comes back down to the, to the, the scalability and you know having the access for people it's really all about access and mm -hmm. for a lot of people don't have the money or time to right. be able to invest in these life-changing transformative festivals um and uh you know it's it's just meeting people where they're at is the biggest yeah, thing for me yeah it's definitely definitely more accessible yeah interesting i really kind of miss the boat with video games it's never been much a part of my life but I can, I can appreciate them, and I've, I've kind of seen them a little bit, like, you know, they've developed so much. But I like, I didn't know this connection with electronic music festivals and events like that. I love, I love helping create events like that. Mm. I'm a lot, you know, I've been involved on a smaller scale with some things, but the ability to create immersive environments, and that's what I love, mm -hmm. like to be able to experience that. And, and to, like, you can go into a place like that and, like, look around and kind of see the elements and you can kind of know, like, okay, I'm in this created environment. But like you are saying, the world is like that anyway to some degree, right? Like, if you go on a, I don't know, anywhere, like Whole Foods, like, you're in an environment that's been designed, you know, designed and everything you're experiencing is actually influenced by human beings, right, and created that way. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I think a lot of people kind of tribute themselves to uh, being experienced creators, you know? Yeah. Like, whatever yeah. that looks like. Yeah. And, uh and yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me, and I, I was a big video game player when I was little, like as a kid, just obsessed. Like I grew up in the 90s, you know, it was like kind of the golden era of, of video games in a lot of ways. Um, and then when I had my very first girlfriend, I think I was 13 or 14, I remember like throwing my PlayStation like in my closet, like to never be seen again. I was like yeah. embarrassed. I was like, I don't want her to see this, you know, like I'm over this. <laughs> I'm like retiring it. Um, and uh yeah, through college, didn't play games at all, but I, it's like deeply ingrained in my psychology as well. So when I went back into, when I actually went into it as an industry um, and, and started a company in the space, it just like all started to click again. And then of course, my, my mindset around mental health and physical health and uh, transformative experiences was the main driving focus and mission. And then you could just layer on the game mechanics to make it engaging and impactful for people. Um, and make it sticky. You know, I think the biggest thing with a lot of like health and wellness tools out there, including like 
Calm and you know the, the yeah. latest and greatest apps is that they're really good for you, but they're not really desirable. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I kind of call it like eat your vegetables type of experiences. Right, right. Yeah. So it's like, what could we do to make those takes, experiences actually discipline. taste good? You know. Yeah. yeah, it takes some discipline. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, just from the mental health point of view, our minds obviously are so powerful. And I've talked about this on the podcast a lot, but everything we experience is really our own consciousness. It's it's consciousness experiencing itself. And so if you, you know, there's not really the clear separation between the world and other people and ourselves that we typically imagine, right? It's also interpenetrating, influencing each other, affecting each other. So if you take something like depression, where things feel stuck, where you feel like, I feel the same today I felt a week ago, a month ago, and it feels like it's always going to feel this way, and it, like low energy. And if you could totally shift your environment that you're in and the people you're around, of course, your mind is going to change if you can open to that. You know, it's a, it can provide a window, an opportunity to have a new experience, and that new experience will prove that you're not actually stuck. Right. And other things are possible. And that's the opposite of the depths of depression. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there was a, a recent documentary that came out on HBO actually called uh, We Met in Virtual Reality. Oh, wow. <laughs> which is, it's, and they, they actually said that the entire thing was shot in, only in VR. So it's like the first documentary oh, completely shot oh, in yeah. VR. Um, and, it, and it tracks a lot of very interesting things. And again, like I don't agree with where the technology is moving. Um, I'm definitely not like a, uh, you know, I mean, there's a variety of names for it, but uh, like a technologist in the in the sense of thinking that technology is going to be the thing that saves us. Um, but I understand that the train is moving. If you look at, for a lot of people that don't know this, um, that Meta, um, you know, formerly Facebook, owns right. the, the biggest headset company in the world. But then there's also the second company that's that's really starting to pave the way, which is Pico. And Pico is owned by ByteDance, and ByteDance is the parent company of TikTok. So right now we're seeing the two biggest social media companies in the world are also the two biggest VR companies in the world. Interesting. So it's like this train is already rolling, and it's moving faster and faster. And for me as a conscious creator, it's not about jumping off the train to like go live in a you know a, a tiny home and like be off grid and like remove myself from technology mm. like yes that's beautiful and i've lived in topanga for years and on three acres and shoot archery in my front yard and all those things but for me it's about how could i influence this exponential technology that's just now really at the ground floor and how can we build positive uplifting content in a medium that will start to be the prevalent medium over the next decade Interesting. Yeah. So you see this as really becoming dominant, virtual reality in general? Well, yeah, more augmented reality, which we're we're not there yet, but it's going to be, uh, yeah, for sure. Like virtual reality for me is kind of like the PC, like a laptop. So we have our smartphone and we have a laptop. That's pretty much like every human in pretty the, in the you yeah. know, in like first world yeah. countries. Um and that's very much what VR and AR will be like. VR will be like your PC. It'll be something that you go into a immersive environment when you're at home or that you want to get work done or you want to meet with coworkers. Where augmented reality is more like the cell phone where it's like overlaying, it's mobile, you can move throughout the world and space. Um, that's very much like how it's, it's starting to evolve and Apple's launching their very first VR headset here in probably the next couple months. And that will be um, kind of a combination of the, of the two. I didn't know that. Oh, interesting. So it's like they call it mixed reality. So it has the ability to essentially click, uh, press a button. Uh, Meta's new headset, which is the Quest Pro, does this as well. 
HTC also has a new headset doing this, which essentially you just press a button and you could go from VR to AR. So you could go from being fully immersed in a world to then clicking a button and it being passed through to where you could see your, your real world environment, but have it overlaid with virtual objects. Wow, yeah, it's so interesting to think about. So, I mean, in your imagining of the future, that's going to be the water we're swimming in, which is different than, for example, video games. Maybe it's this huge, gigantic industry that's bigger than music and everything you're talking about in movies combined. But for me, as an individual, I've gone through life fine just basically ignoring that. Like, it just hasn't been a part of my world. Yeah. But the cell phone and the laptop, of course, is. So it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, and that's and I think that's why it's important to think about the two biggest companies in the space are the social media platforms. Mm. You know, so like yes, it is a part of the video game industry because a lot of times for these industries like the technology moves forward because of games move forward and they really push the industry forward, but ultimately, I mean, the writing's on the wall if you if the two biggest social media companies are are investing heavily in the space by the tune of billions of dollars a year. Mm then, you know, it's it's not going to just be for gamers. They're thinking about, you know, I have a company um, outside of the digital therapeutic space. I also have an ed tech company called Genius X. Okay. And so, you know, the categories of education, co-working, mental health, uh, you know, a variety of social apps where you could actually, this documentary that I mentioned, uh, we met in virtual reality, mm-hmm. showcases sign language classes or dance classes that you could actually take inside of VR Facilitators are being paid to instruct people That's in exciting. VR, um, and so you know it's they're creating entire economies and ecosystems um, that go far beyond the traditional like video game model. Wild, yeah. So, and when you say augmented reality, are you imagining wearing eyeglasses? Is that, or yes, like mostly visual. I guess visual audio. Yeah, exactly. Of, some kind of device you'd be wearing. Yeah, and you know, Google Glass tried to do it like 10 years ago and they were way too early and failed. Um, Snapchat's doing that now. They have an augmented reality glasses that's kind of ahead of the game. Um, There's a few. Magic Leap is a big company. Um, The government of Saudi Arabia just um, invested 450 million into them. Um, They cannot paint the hijab over everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, that's a whole different topic. but, you know, it's, it's yeah, AR glasses for sure um, will be kind of the next iteration. It's just a matter of getting the chips um, small enough. And then a lot of, like, the more complex things are around, like, hand gestures and things. So there's a variety of cameras on them that could detect basically turning your hands into controllers so you don't need a controller. Right, without wearing anything? Right, without wearing gloves or anything. I, I work with somebody who's, like, you know, 14 years old, and he was explaining this to me. I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, hand tracking is a, a big thing already. Um, yeah, uh, and it will just be bigger for sure. Well, so if we sh- kind of shift back to the digital therapeutics part, using, I mean, my understanding of that is basically using different technologies to help people help their mental health, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it could also be physical health, and it's all related, like we were saying, but specifically things like addiction, trauma. Um, do you want to speak to that? Like what, like, what exactly do you see or foresee? happening and what's what's available now yeah so i kind of categorize them as three different buckets for digital therapeutics the first category is very simple and it's what we all know now which is essentially biometric trackers like an apple watch or an aura ring or a fitbit yeah or a whoop bracelet exactly um 
that's kind of like base level, like kind of health monitoring uh, abilities of digital therapeutics. The second level is uh, is predominantly what's coming online right now, which is essentially replicating real world experiences and bringing them into a like simulation type of environment. Mm. Okay, well, so a good yeah. example of that is uh, Oxford VR, which is I think the second, maybe the third company to get FDA approval um, as a VR experience. And that's actually just essentially um, simulating cognitive behavioral therapy in VR. So they're okay. uh, essentially able to scale CBT through, uh, I think it's, it's, it's essentially like simulation where you don't need a therapist in there and you're you know going through these different therapeutic processes, and it's just a scalable way to act for people, again, to gain access to therapies that wouldn't otherwise have them. Um, so that's kind of the second level. Another good example is applied VR, which is another FDA-approved oh, yeah. VR experience, um, and that's for uh, chronic lower back pain was their, their primary right. indication. So it's actually a pain management tool. Um, but again, this is simulating real-world experiences. So you're doing breath work and you're in a, you know, forest environment mm -hmm. and you're learning how to essentially like redirect pain or to move through mm -hmm. that process. Again, essentially, a lot of it is like getting your mind off of the pain. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually a lot more effective. They've, they've shown that it's, it's, it could even be more effective than pharmaceuticals, which is really the promise of the industry is getting That's people amazing. off of pharmaceuticals. So yeah, I have, a, I have a client who suffers from chronic pain, peripheral, what is it called? Neuropathy. And uh, we were researching some of that. He was looking into VR to help. And yeah. part, part of what I see with, with this and with, with all of it is, like, William, William James was, like, considered the founder of psychology in America. Mm -hmm. There's this famous quote from him we've probably heard of, like, what we attend to is our reality. What we put our attention on is our reality. And so with the pain management stuff, like, the mind keeps getting drawn to the pain, and that is your reality, and it sucks. It's horrible. And it's, like, a misfiring of pain. It's not really serving a purpose. Mm -hmm. But if you can, you know, a more simple time-tested way is just with mindfulness to be able to redirect your attention to other things and then the pain is automatically lessened because it's not absorbing all of your awareness. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of promise in the in the pain management and, awesome. and pain yeah. space. And then the third, so those are the first two, right? The first one is kind of like the biometric trackers that we're all used to. The second one is simulating real-world environments. The third layer or the third stage, in my opinion, of digital therapeutics is what we've, we've been building with our product, SoundSelf, which is essentially creating novel game mechanics or what we call like mechanisms of action that you wouldn't see in, the, in a real-world environment that create some sort of positive effect. Mm. So for something like SoundSelf, um, an easy way to describe it is it's vocal toning. So you're essentially, and you got to try the experience, yeah, which is kind of how we connected. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for, for your listeners, so cool. um, yeah. essentially you're toning. So that means any sort of like om, ah, uh, you could do vowel sounds, you could chant, you could hum, you could sing. And that creates a biofeedback loop where your voice now is amplified in the, in the headphones it actually creates the visuals that you're right. seeing, yeah. and then it sends that um, your your vocal tones through your body as a haptic vibration sensation, and you're actually laying on a vibrating bed. Um, so <sighs> something like that, you know, you can't really replicate in the real world. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the third layer, and that's where we're starting to get like really interesting, not only research and results, but also like, again, the stickiness, the engagement, like what's going to bring people back to this experience is that it's actually fun. It's enjoyable. Um, so, 
Yeah, and then uh, a big part of this too is that in 2020, there was the very first FDA-approved video game by a company uh, called Akili. Uh, um, the experience is called Endeavor, um, Endeavor RX, and it's uh, fully focused on uh, ADHD. So it's actually a cell phone game oh, that kids could play, and it gets them, ideally it'll get them off of their Adderall by essentially playing a game a couple times a week uh, that creates new neurosynapses that allows them to focus. Um, and it's like this enjoyable game. They um, actually partnered with Lucas um, Studios with the you know oh, creators yeah. of Star yeah, Wars, yeah. and they layered on additional game mechanics to make it more enjoyable. So that, that kind of like yeah. opened up the industry to like holy crap! Like it's not just about you know health monitoring or these very like therapeutic focused you know simulation type experiences. They could actually be video games, and they could you know have really amazing effects that again. Ideally, we'll get people off of pharmaceuticals. That's yeah, that's so exciting to hear about. I'm gonna research that more, but it's really cool to hear like, you know, something like that could take someone off something like Adderall, which which does have negative side effects, and it's not you know it affects people's sleep and potentially I think their emotions mm-hmm. and empathy and who knows. But I've seen different different research about it, but. Empathy, I think, is the key word there because that's for it's sure scary, the only right? time that yeah. I've ever, like, in college and things, like, to do an all-nighter studying. Uh-huh. I'm definitely guilty of taking Adderall a few times. And, yeah, I feel like the kind of close-hearted, um, like, re- reduction in empathy is is very noticeable. Do you, for sure. you notice that? Wow. Um, yeah, it's scary. And we, don't, we definitely don't want that in our society. We want the opposite of that. Yeah. But so what you just shared, that there's a video game that could help you learn attentional skills so you no longer needed Adderall and get over or compensate for ADHD and improve your attention. That's exactly what mindfulness and contemplative traditions like Buddhism have been talking about for thousands exactly. of years. But the thing is, that takes hard work to like build your attentional skills just with your breath or just with these more contemplative practices. And so maybe the video game and immersive environment can be more engaging, more fun, more effective. Um, and maybe, maybe it could even be, yeah, I just said that, but more effective. Like maybe you could get a similar result in a shorter amount of time through using these tools. It makes, honestly, it makes sense to me. And I say that as someone who's been meditating for 20 years or whatever, um, because the more of your senses you can engage, the more of your bandwidth, the more of your awareness you can engage, then the potentially deeper and more profound the practice could be, right? That's why in Buddhism, they have things like bells and chanting and visualization and incense and going to a certain environment. Like it's all all those things were done for a reason and not like random things. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And the more recent research and findings for a lot of these things is actually increases neuroplasticity, which to your point, you're actually now learning a skill that could be applied without even needing to lean on the digital therapeutic, mm-hmm. meaning that you could ideally play it, play the cell phone game for a few times a week for a couple months and have noticeable effects that last far beyond nice. using the technology itself. I love that. Yeah. You know, and like with pharmaceuticals, it's the opposite. You're you're using it and then you get addicted to it and then you actually have to up your dosage because your body builds resistance to it, right? Yeah. So you build a yeah. tolerance to it. Yeah. And so we're actually seeing a, a complete opposite effect with digital therapeutics, which again is one of the more promising parts about this there's a million amazing uh, promising aspects of it but that's a yeah. that's a big one uh, it's so exciting to have this conversation with you and think about all these things because i'm not a big fan of the pharmaceutical industry and the big gigantic companies and you know i mean who is really? I think our whole society is is getting sick to use that word <laughs> of that model and like let's throw a pill at everything and we all kind of more and more there's a sense like 
what I think Prozac came out in the 90s. There was these like series of like pharmaceutical revolutions with mental health. And it, you know, I, they have helped to some degree in, in certain situations for sure, but they haven't been the uh, cure or the help that was promised that we thought they would be. Right. There's a tremendous side effects. There's a dependency. None of these things were studied to be taken for years on end. Mm-hmm. They were studied in trial periods of like, what, six to eight weeks, you know, short term. Yeah. Uh, so we don't know the effects really. I mean, we can f- figure them out now, but. Yeah. And I, and again, I think it kind of comes back to, you know, meeting people where they're at. Um, I do think that there is a purpose for pharmaceuticals, but I just think that it's far overused. Um, there is some people that, that really need them, you know, like life threatening illnesses and things where it's just like not really an option, but to your point, they've never really been something where you could just depend upon your entire life. I highly recommend, I don't know if you've seen this documentary series. It's kind of like, I guess it's not really, it's based off the true story, um, but it's called dope sick. Um, and it's with, uh, Michael Keaton as the star of it, but it's tracking, uh, Purdue Pharma. And all of the crazy things that happened with Oxycontin over the 90s and early 2000s and the FBI getting involved and the Sackler family that's behind Purdue Pharma that are just like debatably the most evil people that you could ever like witness on Mm -hmm. on screen. I think it's like a six episode miniseries and it is so eye opening to, you know, I need to watch that. Yeah, for like a lot of people that that may like not really know the ins and outs of the pharmaceutical world. That's a really good little sneak peek. Um, I think they did a really good job portraying it. It's a huge, huge industry, like billions and billions of dollars. Um, so just tremendous wealth that was generated through that. And it's it's so easy and it fits into our culture, which is a materialistic culture. And here's a pill instead of working through your problems with a therapist or something like mindfulness. It's like, let's just take this medication. And Yeah, we, we always kind of yeah. talk about it being like, a you know, it's a passive healing model. Yeah. And yeah. so why we, with SoundSelf, we've been working a lot with psychedelic therapists and that's kind of been one of our primary focuses because mainly because psychedelic therapists get it. They understand that we're actually not supposed to be in a passive healing model. We're supposed to be in an active healing Thank model. You. Yeah, that's great. That's a good way to put it. And yeah. so that active participatory experience of going into your own healing and being not only is it, I, I believe, much more effective, but it also gives you autonomy over your own healing process. Yeah. And it takes it away from being like, you know, not only is it very easy to just get a pill and pop it, but you're also now like at the whim of, of the pharmaceutical companies, of your insurance, of yeah. the doctors that prescribe it. Like you're, you fully lose your sense of agency as well, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, that's a big part of this is how do we go to this participatory healing model? I love that. Yeah. I use the word engagement a lot. Mm-hmm. We get more engaged. Like we evolved to be actively engaged, you know, going through the forest or the jungle or whatever. Our senses were alive. We mm-hmm. had to watch out for danger. We had to find the next meal. We had to navigate our tribe, our group. And um, I think part of, we, honestly speaking, we have an epidemic of anxiety and depression. I think part of that is that passiveness mm-hmm. that you're really into just on so many different levels and so many different contexts. Let's watch a TV show. Let's take a pill. Let's this, that. It's like, this constant search for comfort and ease that paradoxically can make us feel depressed in the long run. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've I've been kind of joking lately calling uh, humanity poodles. I feel like we're just like all poodles. Like, you know, the evolution we went from literally like what you're describing is like the evolution of a wolf into Uh a poodle. Yeah. Um, Like to the point where even I'm like guilty of like, I don't know where my water goes when I flush it down the toilet. Like I have no idea about like all of these systems that are in place that create this, comfortable passive society um 
again, removes our sense of agency and really our sense of purpose, you know? So it's like, that, that is a huge aspect of this for sure. And of course, like there's, I think that a lot of these things are beautiful, like how we've created the world and the amount of comforts and, and ease yeah. that we have. Yeah. But there is a part of this too, where you have to be really actively engaged in not only your own healing process, but finding your sense of meaning and purpose, going out and creating your own, I wouldn't call it suffering, but creating your own uh, struggles in life. Like whether mm-hmm. that's something as simple as hot cold therapy or doing right. a dose yeah. of, of psilocybin with a therapist therapist or whatever that looks like. But for me, it seems like if we don't create our own struggles, then the world will create them for us. Yeah. So it's like, how do we yeah. step into those, those environments? And, you know, whether that's working out or fo- focusing on your mental health or just going into the woods and spending a day or two in silence, like, yes, that's very, very challenging. But the rewards you get out of that, the clarity you get out of that, and mm-hmm. just being quiet, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge aspect of this is not only are we very passive, but we're also in this consumer mindset Mm -hmm. where we're just not only with objects and buying things, but consuming, you know, social media content, TV shows, podcasts, even like what we would call like positive consumption of, of books and audibles and podcasts. We're still not ever really able to generate original thoughts because we're never in this point of digestion. So like for mm. me, I can kind of compare it to like fasting. Mm. Fasting's so good for you because you actually put your body on hold from the process of consuming and you allow yourself to digest and like fully go into mm. that space. But as you know, Western world, we don't really give ourselves the time to digest content. So even like something like yeah. a content detox, which I've done a few times and it's incredible, means oh, yeah. no reading, um, you know, no watching TV shows, all these things that we're talking about, no video games, any of that, but literally just t- taking time to, I mean, I, I include music as a part of my digestion. I mm-hmm. wouldn't say that that's consumption. Um, you could go a step further and reduce and eliminate music. But for me, just music and yeah. journaling, you could still live your life, but just like actively making sure that you can create some of your own original thoughts Mm. and by digesting all the content and creating your own meaning making, as opposed to just consume, you know, constantly consuming other people's meaning making. What would that look like for you? Like two days or how long would you? I've done it for a couple weeks. Oh, wow. um, But it's actually not as hard as you would think. Like, you could still work, you know, you can uh-huh. still like be in your, in your process. It's just like when you have the free time or when you're traveling from A to B, mm-hmm. instead of constantly consuming things, you're just, so you're just with yourself and you're, it off and me. you're, yeah. and you're literally just allowing all of the content you've ever consumed in your life to digest into uh-huh. like what it actually means to you, you know? So yeah. a couple of weeks of just no reading, no podcasts, no movies, no TV shows, no video games and see what happens, you know? I don't know if I've ever heard it talked about. I've heard of a digital detox, but like a content detox, because there's usually, you know, more people want to read more, right? Or take in more, but like to like take a break. That makes sense to me. I like the, mm-hmm. I've naturally been doing that to some degree when I walk my dog or drive around. It's like, I don't need the, like, I went through a, a few years that kind of led to me creating this podcast, but I was like, got really into podcasts. And like, I had an hour long commute to this addiction treatment center. Mm-hmm. I was doing an internship at, and um, I discovered podcasts, so I'd be, always be listening to all this stuff. And it's an endless rabbit hole. There's an endless, we're in the age of information, and the information is effectively limitless. Mm-hmm. And stuff like this podcast is a part of that, for better or worse. <laughs> but to be able to like take it in, appreciate it, but then put it down and digest. 
Right. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when there's so many different definitions of like what Web3 is, and that comes up, you know, so much in the metaverse and all these things. But for me, it's like, you know, Web1 was gaining access to information. Web2 was being able to connect with each other mm. with that information and share that information. And now Web3, you know, with all the different things from, you know, crypto and, and VRAR and all the different things. But ultimately for me, it's like, the next stage of that is actually becoming a creator. And like, what does that mean to you? It doesn't mean that you have to create content. That just means, again, like having autonomy over your own mm -hmm. life and like starting to build a world that you want to live in as opposed to being subjected to whatever the world is that other people want you to be in. Yeah, I love that. I think that, I think that's true. And I think, I think with all the stuff we're talking about, like balance, I like the word balance, you know? Absolutely. Of course, you can read a good book, awesome, but like to not... The part that um, I think is good to be suspicious about is if there's like a need in you and if, if you're not always reading or always listening to something or always taking in information that you feel like you're missing out or, um, you know, whatever that it's like, that's something to pay attention to because that's not, it's not quite right. It's like, it's like a dependency or a kind of addiction, you mm -hmm. know, right? Absolutely. Like we don't, we don't need <laughs> to always know. The news is a great example of this. So you actually don't need to know most individuals don't need to know all the news all the time. You go insane if you try. And so the happiest people <laughs> I know are the ones that don't tune into the news at all. And that's yes. like including myself, <laughs> you know, um, and it's not even like about this, like blissful ignorance. It's, it's really just about, again, like be more concerned about like what's happening with your community and what's happening. You know, it all starts with you, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, be more concerned about what's happening with you and then extend that once you feel whole, extend that to your family and then to your community. Like the people that should be worrying about global news are the people that like have already taken care of those other buckets and they're like at a position where like they're in charge of those things, you know? Um, I think that's again, like this like sense of anxiety that we're talking about yeah, is like yeah. not having control over the, the situation, mm -hmm. but you can control some things and mainly what you could control is yourself. And yeah. so, like, again, kind of we could circle this back to digital therapeutics, which is, like, these technologies ideally enable us to have a better sense of peace and presence and reduce anxiety and depression, find a, a bigger meaning and purpose within our own lives that then will start to echo out into everything else. Mm -hmm. But trying to start from the opposite end is just, a, a, it's an impossible it's game. It's impossible. You yeah. know, like, how could yeah. you start with the world's problems when you don't, you know, and yeah. then try to end with yours? Um, Interesting. Yeah. I do think it's good to be informed for at least for me, but to do it in a more conscious way and limit it and not try to get it all obviously and um, get, yeah. out of, get out of the 24 hour news cycle, whatever that is. Like you said, yeah, yeah. it's definitely balanced. balanced. It's definitely yeah. balanced for sure. <laughs> I kind of want to share with listeners about I, I visited my friend in Miami um, a few weeks ago and I got to experience uh, what's it called? Sound self? Sound self. Uh -huh. So, sound self. And so it's a table with speakers, subwoofers in the table, and glasses that have some kind of lights inside of them, right? And then high-quality headphones uh, with a microphone. And the cool part is exactly what you're talking about, that we actually, this is like a very visceral experience of creating your reality, mm -hmm. where I'm like laying there, I'm feeling it, it's a cool experience. And then I remember the moment of realizing that, and I didn't have like a no one like prepared me going into it. I just kind of got into it and was like, what was this? So I, I said something or tried to say something. And then the visuals and the sound and the feeling in the body and on the bed, I was like, oh. And then I started doing the toning. And so my 
vocals was, you know, creating this whole interesting thing. I can't put it into words because it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. But you're vibrating and you're, you know, like making these sounds and feeling, seeing things change. And yeah, I mean, that's my description. <laughs> Do you wanna... yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's pretty spot on. Um, you know, like essentially you become the content, right? Like okay, you create yeah. the, your own content so, in the moment. Yeah. Um, and you know, for, you know, for people that are curious, which we get asked all the time, like, what are the indications? Like, what is this helping? Why is this effective? Mm. For me, it's, you know, kind of coming back to, you mentioned like vocal toning being like this ancient yeah. practice. Yeah. So we're essentially like, what I call it is like ancient future. We're taking ancient modalities and principles that have been, you know, stood the test of time, have been proven to work over and over mm. again. And we're putting it into an engaging way to um, bring what we call players, but essentially their patients a lot of times, because mm -hmm. we do work with a lot of therapists, we're putting those patients into a state where they're incentivized to activate these ancient forms of, of healing. Um, so for us, we're, we're looking at the broader spectrum of anxiety and depression as our, as our indications. Um, so it's interesting you bring that up because, of course, that's the biggest things in mental health. Yeah. Um, but also when we're looking at, we're doing three clinical trials right now, one at um, the Imperial College of London, which is an end size of 300 uh, oh. participants. Oh, cool. um, they're actually pairing our software with a microdosing protocol oh. to enhance creativity is kind of the idea. Oh, cool. So we're right now, a lot of our, of our studies are around what is the indication that we want to pursue. But I always say it's essentially like for people that have never meditated before, it's one of the most powerful experiences that they could ever have because it, it induces meditation so quickly. So we always mm -hmm. say it's like, Instead of spending 10 years in an ashram, you could spend 10 minutes on the table and you could, mm. you could feel what it's like, at least a little glimpse of what that experience could be like, mm. you know, for a, a lasting effect. Um, so for me, I always kind of come back to there's a Zen Buddhism term called Satori. Yeah. And Satori is essentially, uh, from how it's been conveyed to me, it's essentially like what the Zen master wants their student to obtain and satori is a sudden moment of enlightenment or realization mm -hmm. so the goal isn't to bring them into an enlightened state all the time whatever our definition of that means the goal is just to give them that little glimmer to spark mm -hmm. that candle to show them what's possible and then it sends them on their deeper journey mm -hmm. and that's very much what this experience is like it could like really show what is possible and then of course we're the way that we're implementing it into psychedelic and even just general therapeutic protocols, because we do work with therapists outside of mm. psychedelics as well, is just around how, you know, maybe doing it a couple times a week, going deeper each time through the experience. Mm. Um, but ultimately it is, uh, you know, I always laugh because we're looking at all these different indications, but it's like saying, what are the benefits of meditating, right? There's just a million of them. <laughs> like, like we can't, it's very hard to pinpoint what the one thing is, you know, Kind yeah, of unfortunately yeah. for going through the medical tech route um, with the FDA, you have to have a very specific indication. Right. So we will figure that out over the next probably six months to a year. Um, but ultimately, it's helping so many things because meditation helps everything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, I think meditation, it's a taste of meditation experience. And it's also one of the things I think with meditation, it's often done sitting up, which supports us staying awake. You know, a table like this, this kind of thing, it's like you can really lay down and relax deeply. And I think for most modern people, that's what we really need mm -hmm. is the deep relaxation mm -hmm. um, while maintaining some amount of awareness and mindfulness, right? To have that focused relaxation or clear relaxation. Um, that's interesting. You said, I think you used the word ancient and modern or something like that. Ancient so, future. Ancient future. Mm -hmm. So one of my 
favorite musical artist is Future Primitive. Yeah. And he's actually, I'm hoping to have him on the podcast soon. He actually lives in this area and he nice. was part of my camp at Burning Man. Cool. I've <laughs> so, seen him play at Burning Man a few okay, times. Yeah. So like um, that, there's something there because I was just this, actually just this morning reading this ancient, just a few lines of this ancient meditation text or scripture or whatever you want to call it. And it was saying the freedom that you're seeking was there from the very beginning. And that kind of future primitive, ancient, modern, whatever, however language, it's like the potential has always already been there. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that everything we're experiencing is our consciousness, that's always been the case. And there's these ancient technologies. And I think technology is a good word to use for it. Like inner technologies of breathwork, mm -hmm. visualization that are, are super powerful. It's just, you know, these are just maybe new ways to access it. It's not, I'm not saying it's the exact same, but it's like playing with a lot of the same elements where it's not just meditating, noticing your breath. It's shifting your entire perceptual framework, you're shifting your entire world, your experience of the world. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the experience that we've created definitely involves breath work as well, um, simply from the fact that you're taking deep, deep mm. inhales and then long tonal exhales. Mm -hmm. Just the act of toning is one long exhale, which is so therapeutic mm -hmm. and, you know, has been proven over and over again by a various amount of very, very credible studies. Um, but unlike most biofeedback, so when we think about like biofeedback is, you know, either something like HRV, which is heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, measuring the, the beats of your heart and the coherence of the beats of your heart. Or if you think about something like breathing, um, you know, those are typically very passive uh, biometrics. Mm -hmm. Like that's something that your body's innately doing. Toning, on the other hand, that was a very active biometric. Mm -hmm. So it's one, you know, you can control your breath, um, but you could even, you, you could, control the vocal intonations of your own voice much more. So it, it goes into, you know, yes, we could, you know, even with like EEGs, which monitor brainwaves and things, yeah. like there's a lot of cool technologies out there that have this passive biometrics where you're just getting in tune with your own biorhythms as you go through an experience. But when you're using the voice, now you're in control. Again, this like mm. autonomy of your own biorhythms. So yeah. the voice has not really been explored um, nearly as much as, as it should be um, yeah. compared to a lot of these things. So it's, right. it's cool to, to dive further that's, into that. That's one of the things that excited me the most about it was, was the use of the voice and mm. the tonian. Um, it's interesting, in, like traditionally in Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism, they, we always talk about body, speech, and mind. And so speech, the voice, it's another way of saying energy. Mm -hmm. But it, for whatever, it was always kind of confusing me, like why the word speech? Like body, of course, that makes sense. Mind, that makes sense. But speech, it's kind of a... A little bit of a funny thing, but there is so much power in our voice and our energy and what it communicates and the tone in the mantras, the whatever. I mean, it's just, yeah. Well, if you think about it, the way that I always think about it is, you know, your your vocal cords, like, or whatever you want to call it, your throat chakra, however you want to describe it, is literally directly in between your heart and your mind. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. really the connection yeah. point between the two. Yeah. So when you're like yeah. looking, when we're doing a lot of like deep uh, voice analysis uh. of, of people's voices, and you could actually pick up a lot of different health indications just based off of someone's voice. Wow. Um, even last year, there was an FDA approved app for your cell phone 
that could literally detect COVID by speaking into your phone. I heard about that. That's so hard to believe. That's so amazing. Yeah. That's so bizarre. Yeah. And well, it's because it's, it's a respiratory thing, right? I mean, um, so and it's, you can, I mean, you could hear when somebody's sick, right? When they're right. speaking, right. there's so, there's so much in the voice and it used to be considered kind of the pseudoscience. And now there's, there's a study out of MIT. I think there was another one out of Stanford specifically around not only picking up, um, you know, physiological markers from your voice, but also mental markers from your voice and being able to really analyze how people are at that current state and then how they evolve over time. Um, so yeah, it's ultimately a, a bridge or a gateway between cool. between the, the heart and the mind. Well, you've got a very powerful voice, so you're a good spokesman for <laughs> your Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> Interesting. Practice what I preach. <laughs> very, yeah, yeah, pun intended. <laughs> There's so many... Um, Things where I think ancient folk medicine, however you want to talk about it, indigenous medicine, traditional healing arts are being validated in our scientific modern world. And the voice is one of them. Another one is the power of the pulse. So by wearing this whoop strap, it's basically measuring my pulse, right? And it's measuring all this stuff on my wrist. But in ancient Chinese and Tibetan and Indian medicine, they would take your pulse and the doctor would be able to tell, oh, you know, they'd be able to tell your medical condition just reading your pulse. Mm -hmm. I think it's mainly Chinese and Tibetan medicine they do that. But it's that's another example to me that's being validated to some degree. It's kind of like the microcosm, you know, any like microcosm, you can take any, get a good look at anything, it could tell you something about the whole, whole right. system. Um, but yeah, wow. <sighs> we're entering such a, we're in such an awesome world. Like I feel excited about the future talking with you today, which is, feels good. Because I'm imagining, I just thought about this when you're talking about, like, if there's someone out there who's like 18 or 19 and they're really interested in meditation and neuroscience and something like psychedelics and therapy and healing, like, in their lifetime, they have, I mean, just right now, they've access to so much more information and technologies and insights and things than I did at that age. And I can only imagine 20, 30 years, you know, if the world doesn't end, we'll keep, it's almost like the world is evolving and growing with all these positive things. And there's also a lot of scary negative things. And it's like, almost feels like both are happening at the same time. And I think that feels, it, it feels weird. It's hard to like, are we getting worse or are we getting better? It's like, everything is getting more of what it is. Right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. The but, polarity continues to increase for sure. Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing is how to move people from fear to inspiration with technology. Uh, yeah. That's good you know, so like yeah. beyond, beyond this company, um, as I did mention, I do have a, another VR company that's in the ed tech space. Um, and that's all around how to create, build real world skills through using virtual reality. And then our, the publishing company that I founded, um, years ago is around this, that same, that same focus. I forgot who said it. I think it's, um, maybe it's Frank Lloyd Wright or, um, uh, I'm well, a famous architect essentially said the quote that I, it always sticks with me. And it's, it's, um, whether it's a beautiful utopia or a terrible disaster will be a neck and neck relay race to the very end. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, that's, that's actually, exactly. it's a uh, Buckminster Fuller. That's a, oh, Buck, okay. that's a Bucky quote. That's a great quote. Um, and yeah. you know, that's, I mean, that's essentially it, right? It's like, yes, the, the polarity continues to increase, but there is, I always kind of compare it to like, there's this like black hole of optimism, mm. you know? And like, we know about that through media, like no, no good news is worth publishing and it's all about mm. the doom and gloom. But there's also like, just, you know, I think this is important to share. Um, we work with some venture capital funds. I've, I've pitched a, a variety of them because I've been doing fundraising for, for all of my companies for years now. Yeah. Um, 
And there's a lot of beautiful projects happening that no one knows about. And it's and it's so sad because it is. It's literally a black hole of optimism. Yeah. There's yeah. so many, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, mainly because again, like mainstream media isn't interested in publishing news that's positive. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have like a segment on like a Wednesday morning, like happy news. You know, it's like yeah. they just like throw it off to the side. But yeah. um, there's also a lot of like very big names of you know whether they're. Um, heirs and heiresses of family fortunes or these like huge names that you would know of um, that are funding a lot of incredible projects, but they don't want to be known, right? Because they're because they're high, high net worth individuals that have billions of dollars and they're famous just by their name. So they don't even talk about what they're putting their money into. And a lot of times they're putting their money into world-changing projects that just no one knows about. I love that. You know, so it's like, it's important for people to know that, you know, that there is a lot of good happening in this world. It's just, it's just not being televised. Yeah. That's a really good thing to share. I think that's true for sure. Um, Interesting. I guess in terms of the polarity, things like, video game is virtual reality, it's pretty easy to imagine some of the negatives that can develop. Um, I mean, we already have video game addiction, but, you know, someone who's immersed in video games all the time, but that same person immersed in virtual reality games all the time, I mean, it could, things are going to get weirder than they already are, right? Yeah. I mean, you could totally lose touch with the world around you in a virtual reality world. Yeah, I mean, I I could name, you know, a hundred award-winning dystopian movies right how many could you name that are utopian movies like how much of our collective consciousness is actually going to projecting a better future right so it's Mm -hmm. like yes it's easy for like i think the collective psyche to go immediately into doom and gloom because that's literally not only what we see in our like real world and and don't get me started on what i believe the the news actually is but our real world news and then our fictionalized worlds and like someone, a great example, and I'm sure you, you're a fan of uh, Aldous Huxley. Oh, yeah. Um, and he, you know, wrote 1984. Or sorry, no, he didn't. George Orwell did. He wrote Brave New World, which is very comparable. And yeah. everyone knows about that. Like, I had to read it in high school. I had to yeah, read, read Brave New too. World. Yeah. But he wrote a book right before he died called Island. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's actually the opposite of Brave New World because mm-hmm. it's showing a utopian future. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, it's just like they're... Yeah, what what's in the like in the popular zeitgeist of of our news media and entertainment that actually shows a more positive future? Um, yeah, so we have to create it. You know, ultimately we have to create it, and that's that's, kind of the, that's a good message. I mean, so we have a negativity bias. So I think is from evolution in part. So it's not a hundred percent like you know people in general geared towards the negative as an evolutionary adaption to overcome it. Mm-hmm. But the release a lot of worry and anxiety and fear then it's it's you know in our world today it's overplayed the other thing is just that if i saw a two-hour movie and everything was great and perfect it would feel boring right or that's the typical that's the typical thought that pops in my head when i think about that and so it's drama and violence and whatever it's entertaining and um but i hope i hope we are creating a utopia but people are still going to love their scary movies in that utopia, right? Right. So it's, I don't know, it's interesting what you're saying, though, that we're not, we're not collectively... But you, you say that, but then I think of, like, rom-coms or, like, comedy movies, and they're, like, they are happy-go-lucky, and they're still very entertaining. They're still fun. Right? Like, a comedy is, is the opposite of that. Yeah. That's yeah. true. It, but it doesn't matter I, I to totally do them, but, yeah. Interesting. But the idea that 
we collectively could have a collective dream or vision is beautiful. I think it could be so powerful, but our society feels so fractured. Everyone, you know, it's like it's so hard for us to come together. If you talked about a utopia, it would be hard to get two people to agree on what that would be. Maybe not. Maybe you could find two, but it would be hard as a society to agree on. It's hard for us as a society to agree on anything. Yeah, it seems like, and it seems like that's getting worse and worse, and that's like the bigger problem that I see. Yeah, I mean, yes, and I think we could all agree that love is the highest emotion, and mm-hmm. you know, there's there's everyone's so different and has our different opinions and different programming and upbringing. But at the end of the day, everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to have a that's beautiful a family yeah. life. Yeah. You know, so it's like yeah. yes, and I think that there's a just just a north star that we could guide towards around just being more mentally healthy you know more physically fit more you know synced up with with our loved ones more in in integrity and in honesty that are kind of just universal and and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a doctrine or something that you know your religion or whatever is teaching you it's just literally how you feel like do you feel better or do you feel worse doing these things and i think most people could agree um, that, you know, these positive emotions make you feel better. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. If we can agree on things like that and not get bogged down in uh, ideology, mm-hmm. that would be probably the way forward. Because once we, it's like the realms of concepts, ideas, what do you believe, like beliefs, like that's where things get really wonky with religion and politics. <laughs> Right. Or like wars start, right? Because they believe different things. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the big things that I I love about what we've created with SoundSelf as well is that, you know, we're not focused on a particular ideology. It's very secular. Mm-hmm. It's like we're not introducing spiritual concepts that fit into one specific religion or tradition. It's just a universal thing. Like humans have a voice. When yeah. we use it, we feel good. And like, yeah. just leave it at that. You know, there's like... There could be way, and then same thing with my education company, Genius X. Like the things that we teach, and the way I describe it very briefly is like a multiplayer masterclass in VR. So it's completely open world and social, and you're learning life skills, whether that's uh, breath work, qigong, yoga, all these things, or it could be on the other side, like how to interview for the right job, public speaking, where you're literally speaking in front of a virtual audience. You know, the possibilities are endless, right? You could learn how to fly an airplane, right? Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, for us specifically, we're focused on soft skills, like the the things that we should have learned in school, but we didn't, as opposed to like very specific training for things. There's a variety of VR companies that are doing that really well. Um, but I bring that up, too, because we have um, a world-renowned bioarchitect um, oh. that designs all of our worlds. And bioarchitecture is essentially like building things in accordance with nature, like the Fibonacci sequence oh. of, of building structures that represent what you would see in nature. And for us, when we're building those things, they don't look like traditional temples mm-hmm. or things that you would relate directly to a specific religion. It just is an environment that makes you feel good because it's open and it's representative of how a flower blooms or mm-hmm. how a seashell spirals or how galaxies twirl. And, you know, it's, a, it's just a more universal language um, as yeah. opposed to, you know, looking at like one particular way of going about something. Uh, that's fascinating. So, I mean, in creating a virtual reality world, to be drawn from, influenced by coming out of the natural world, it's going to make us feel better, and it's going to make more sense to us, probably. It's just, that's fascinating. It's like an evolution, rather than this idea that, oh, we could just create anything at all, so let's put a triangle here and a square there. So it's like, it's not going to feel very good. It'll be like a chaotic kind of... Right. Like, we're not actually capable of just creating everything out of nothing. That's not how 
this universe works. It's like everything's coming out of what came before it, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, and to your point of the text that you read this morning, it's like ultimately we're just like coming back home, you know? Yeah, that idea. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, yeah it's like we're not really learning things. We're, we're actually unlearning things so we could come back to a point of homeostasis, mm -hmm. which is our natural God-given birthright, you yeah. know, or a universe-given birthright. Whatever, however you want to describe it, you know. And we have to, like, keep doing it over and over again because we keep getting lost. <laughs> we keep forgetting. Yes, the keep whole <laughs> point. The thing that I continually tell myself is that the whole point is just to remember, you know. Like, we can, mm -hmm. we can, we're born into this world to, to just remember what we've forgotten, for sure. Interesting, yeah. It's a great Ram Dass quote. We're all walking each other home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so how could we embed that in technology, right? That's the biggest question mm -hmm. um, in my mind because it is such an all-pervasive thing in our modern world yeah. is how do we think in those terms when we're creating things in technology. Beautiful. Yeah, it's fun to think about. Another thought that popped in my mind was just imagining people in, I don't know, maybe someone's in abject poverty and the world outside is rough. But if the technology was advanced enough and they were able to go into a virtual world of great beauty and uplift and everything, and it was, you know, I mean, that's, that's it could be a huge equalizer. You know? Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's definitely a very fine line to walk fine between, line, right? yeah. <laughs> like the escapism aspect of just like completely retreating yeah. out of your your reality. Which you know, I always struggle with that because that's one of people's main concerns with VR. But I always say, like, you know, we're on our phones, whatever, six to eight hours a day, yeah. and it's literally, it's not like we, it's not like we're really concerned with the outside world. We're in our own virtual reality as it is, and VR is essentially just bringing your phone, like, you know, a foot closer to your face is all it's happening. So yes, that comes with, like you've kind of mentioned to your point earlier, which yeah. is that, like, yes, that comes with more polarity and mm. more opportunities for addiction and escapism. But on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, it comes with more opportunities for healing and equality. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, this kind of great equalizer. So when I think about it, um, right now, a VR headset is one third the price of a smartphone. So you could get a VR headset yeah. for 300 bucks, you know, good luck trying to buy the new iPhone for under a grand. Right. Um, so we're already getting to the point where this technology is becoming more accessible, but then what happens when that opens up, similar to what the internet did, all these variety of, of ways to not only to work and to earn a living and to like gain access to all these amazing ways to, to learn and to develop, but you also are now getting in touch with community. And it's not community through a comment section of Instagram or through a, a Twitter argument. It's actually meeting people inside of a virtual space that could change your life. Um, so, you know, it's just like, yes, it's complete other end of the spectrum. Escapism addiction will get rampant and even worse. But who are the people that are creating and thinking about everything that we're talking about on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which is bringing about a more uplifting world? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. I think community is a key point. And um, social media has done a tremendous job in connecting us while making us feel more disconnected, right? And so I hope that the technology can develop, like you're talking about, where we have real community and real connections through the technology. I can feel it um, on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Like I work with clients on Zoom sometimes. We're just talking to people, talking on the phone, the power of the voice again. I've had some really powerful sessions with clients that were a phone call. Yeah. So, I mean, that can be amazingly effective because you're in real-time connection with each other. You can feel each other. Um, so, yeah, the potential's there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, again, go back to like nothing will replace the experience that you and I are having here, like being able yeah, to cool. see our real bodies, yeah. like yeah. hear our own breaths, like be able to touch each other. And at the same time, like, you know, I could feel your heartbeat right now if I put my hands on your chest. With VR, we're getting to that point. Like wow. in the next couple of years, I'll be able to, my mom is 3,000 miles away. I'll be able to hug her in VR and literally feel her arms wrap around me, you know? Uh, and that's like, it's stuff that we could do now. It's literally haptic cool. vests or haptic suits that are gonna continue to get, you know, more lightweight and they'll basically be like t-shirts with little transducers on them. So that way, like you could be in a meeting and instead of a Zoom meeting, you could literally be in a world and you could, not only can you do things that you would be able to do in real life, like hug somebody or like touch their heart, again, it's a simulation. It's not as good as the real world experience, but if that's the only thing you have access to, it's pretty damn close and it does a great job. But then there's other things in VR that actually are better than what you could do in real life. Mm -hmm. And I know for a lot of people that could be triggering, but one, a great example of something that we've been thinking about um, a lot with my development teams and things, which is like, if you and I were in a room and we were having like a boardroom meeting, so we yeah. had multiple people and we're ideating on, a, on an idea or a project, I could literally see your heartbeat above your head and then it could, and I could press a button and I could sync my heartbeat with yours. I could literally start to feel okay. the vibration of your heartbeat pumping through my controllers or a vest that I'm wearing or even through the headset itself. And through that kind of like biomimicry, I could, my heart rate, my heart rate will literally start to sync up with your heart rate and like we'll be in coherence. So like, as, so as you're doing therapeutic sessions or simply having a brainstorming meeting or watching someone present, you're having this like deep connection with them beyond what you could even do in real life, right? So there is possibilities to actually create experiences that go beyond the real world. That's really um, you know, to some extent. Okay, that's an amazing thing. So part of what the value of therapy and I work a lot with trauma and anyway, like you're co-regulating with someone else. Mm -hmm. So a good therapist or a good coach or teacher can you're co-regulating with them. They can help help regulate your nervous system by being in the room with them. But um, just imagine like us all connected to someone like the Dalai Lama and like let's all feel his heartbeat. I mean, whatever you're, you're, you know, whatever idolized figure you can have that projection on to feel. It, it's fascinating. You know, someone told me a practice the other day I'm in this class and they said like, just go with, like when you're kids, sometimes kids have imaginary friends. Mm -hmm. Just go through your whole day like you have an imaginary friend and cultivate that and it's a source of love and support and appreciation and see if you can open up to feeling that, to taking that in and, and you, can, you can carry that with you through the whole day if you wanted to. And uh, I mean, the practices in Buddhism and yoga and different things are similar to that. Um, but so what you're describing through virtual reality could be super healing and super powerful. Mm -hmm. Just as uh, I mean, I think ultimately it's coming from within you, from within us. But to be able to, if you have a figure or an image or another person who can like, they can be, they can help you to open up and find that in yourself. Right. Right. That's like the ultimate point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, and ultimately it's, it's about how do we not become dependent or reliant upon technology? Like what mm -hmm. we talked about earlier with pharmaceuticals, it's how could we use this technology to become better people to where we could show up in the world better for everyone else in the real world. Mm -hmm. You know? So I think that's, it's a means to an end. You know, I think that, as things start to evolve and and these more like conscious tech companies start to continue to get, you know, there's a lots of funding and, you know, government 
there's there's something that a lot of people don't know called the um, Access to Digital Therapeutics Act, which is being tabled at Senate right now. Uh, it's a bipartisan bill, and it provides $32 billion towards Medicare and Medicaid coverage specifically for digital therapeutics. So like as these things start to come online, it's really interesting to, to think that you know, the end goal won't be to get like as many users on the platform as possible. You know, like Facebook needs like yeah. another billion users to continue their upward growth. And they're like installing internet lines through the ocean to provide internet access to developing countries just so they could have a Facebook profile. Right, right. Um, you know, insane feats that they're trying it's to insane, reach right? to do that. Yeah. Um, but instead of that, it, it could be a means to an end. You could actually use the technology to a point where you don't need it anymore and you could just show up in the world mm. in this more holistic you know sense of yourself a more integrated version of yourself and um you know and uh, you won't have that. to continue to rely on it uh, yeah i love that that's great that's and that's what all therapeutic medicinal whatever you want to talk about healing should be like you know not something that ideally not something you need forever but something you can use and heal and grow and then embody and carry forth in yourself and Integrate. Integrate. Yeah, integrate. integrate. Yeah. Yeah. The, key, the key word of therapy. <laughs> yeah, make sure to integrate it, for sure. That's inspiring that our government, it makes sense to me. I mean, it's, digital therapeutics offers a huge potential. I hope it really works out and helps a lot of people because way less downsides potentially than pharmaceuticals. And then this kind of standard mental health therapy model of a one-on-one therapist, it's not something that's you know, easily scalable. Right. It takes people with a lot of training and it's not just a matter of the money for a session, but the time and like the, to get there, to be there with them. Right. And that's, that's an obstacle. You know, it's a, a barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. I heard, I saw, I think I saw the most recent statistic was in the U S which we have a higher rate than most countries. It's one therapist per every 1600 people. Okay, yeah. One mental health therapist for every 1,600 people. So, like, again, I don't want our technology or any technology to replace the power of therapeutic sessions in person. But at the end of the day, it's just a problem of access right now. Mm -hmm. And, like, if we could create tools to supplement it, exactly, then that's kind of the the holy grail for the work. Beautiful. Love it. This is an inspiring conversation. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, I always get pumped when I'm on these on these podcasts. I'm like, yeah. you know, super charged and ready to, to continue doing the things. I can feel it. Um, any last words for, for us? Um, no, I mean, I think we, we kind of covered it, but I would I would definitely uh, encourage people to go to entheo.io or entheo.digital. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same website. You could find all sorts of information about SoundSelf, about some of our initial research. You could reach out and be a part of the beta program. Um, and you know we're always looking for new partnerships and things. And then my other company, Genius X, our uh, platform is called Retreat, um, and it is actually available now on the MetaQuest storefront, which is the main storefront for VR. And you can download it and uh, start learning in VR uh, today as well. Awesome! Super exciting. Yeah, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the State of Mind podcast. I work here in Boulder, Colorado as a psychotherapist, coach, a meditation teacher, and you can learn more about that at estateofmindcounseling.org. You can learn more about the podcast at our website, estateofmindpodcast.com, and you can also get a t-shirt, stickers, a hoodie like this one I'm wearing, and other goodies. Send us a message if you want those. Feel free to send us any feedback. If you'd like to support this podcast directly, you can do that at patreon.com backslash estateofmind. And another way that you can support the show is just to share it with friends, share it with family, post about it on your social media accounts. 
leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All those things make a big difference, and they're greatly appreciated. And I really appreciate everyone who listens to this, who sends us a message, who shows their support. We are at over 100 episodes now, and it's just been an incredible journey with this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to bringing you more great episodes, great conversations, and great content in the future. So stay tuned, and I will see you here next time.